Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Valmet Forward Talks podcast series, where we discuss the big questions surrounding sustainability, climate change, and the future of the pulp and paper industry. My name is André Noël Chacquer, and I have the pleasure of being your host. The topic of this episode is how to create a global low-carbon supply chain. Our podcast guests will soon talk to us about the initiatives that they are taking in lowering their carbon footprint in their supply chains. Stay tuned. With us here today are two supply chain gurus, Yanni Suomalainen, Vice President, Procurement at Valmet, and Juha Erkila, Head of Sustainability at Otokumpu, one of Valmet's stainless steel suppliers. They are here today to discuss how to reduce carbon emissions in their supply chains with a special focus on stainless steel, which is a widely used raw material at Valmet. I'd like to open with a personal question to both of you relating to climate change. Yanni, how did you get to the studio today? Well, first I took my hybrid car and drove it to the railway station of Tampere, and then I took a train, and here in Helsinki I walked to the studio. Did you calculate your carbon footprint? I didn't, but it was quite small. It was quite small. I think that uh, just using our basic reasoning on that one will <laughs> reveal that you do a great job for the environment just by getting here to the studio. Thank you, Yanni, and welcome. Thank you. And I'd like to ask you, Yuha, what is the most impactful thing you do in your personal life to fight climate change? Well, similar to Yanni, I also take these uh, questions uh, in when I'm doing the decisions, whether it's about how do I get into the studio, which, by the way, I took the electric car today, which was a deviation from my normal procedure of biking. That's the normal way of commuting for me. And the uh, same applies for doing decisions as to how do you want to heat up your house, how do you decide on how do you recycle everything within your household, etc. It's uh, all about doing responsible choices in your everyday life. Sounds like a sustainable lifestyle to me. Thank you very much, Juha, and welcome. Thank you. I'll try to do my best. Oh, I'm sure you will. Well, gentlemen, you know, eliminating fossil energy sources is high on the agenda for this century's industrial development. In addition to looking at companies' uh, own operations, some eyes have increasingly turned towards their supply chains, too. What is driving this development? Let's start with Yanni. Basically... All our stakeholders are expecting us to reduce emissions of our supply chain, starting from customers. They want Valmet to reduce CO2 emissions, and they want us to have also supply chain included. Also, investors are expecting companies like Valmet, who, who are in the need of international finance, to reduce emissions. Also, Many of our suppliers all around the world would like Valmet to help them in reducing emissions. And last but not least, also Valmeteers, Valmet employees, want the company to do something for the climate. 
So all the stakeholders basically are driving for this. Sounds like a holistic uh, approach. Uh, and I like the way you call yourselves, Valmateers, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Oh, it sounds like musketeers or something like that. It's, it's, a, it's a nice word. And how about you, Juha? Well, uh, actually, it's quite interesting that in case of stainless steel making, it's uh, actually the supply chain that is causing the majority of emissions, which, you know, might sound peculiar given that steel industry is such a huge contributor for the CO2 emissions, but it's actually the a lot of the raw materials that really go into the stainless steel mix that are causing the largest carbon footprint. And for that reason, we are extremely focused on our supply chain emissions as well, and that we tried and eliminate by using as much recycled material as simply possible. And that will also lead to lower uh, supply chain emissions, given that um, steel scrap is effectively second use of the material, not primary production. So in, in case of Autokumpu, I'd say that the uh, steel making as such is of the best available technology, meaning electric arc furnace-based, uh, well, electric steel making, essentially, and therefore, the value chain is where the majority of the emissions will land. And it's great that both of you are looking at this uh, value chain very closely. You know, both Valmet and Autokumpu have taken a value chain approach in assessing their environmental impacts, meaning that you monitor and calculate your supplier's CO2 emissions impact too. But now, what kind of actions are you taking to monitor and improve the overall sustainability of your supply chains, including their environmental and social aspects as well? Yeah, we in Valmet, we have had already for years so-called sustainable supply chain policy that we demand from all the suppliers. So every time when we open a new supplier, they have to go through our sustainable supply chain policy and accept it. So it's part of that process. And um, we're also doing assessments and audits among our suppliers. Even last year when COVID was hitting the world economy and there were travel restrictions, we were able to do more than 30 on-site supplier audits. And we also have a so-called key supplier program, which is running every year in some of our sales areas. And we engage suppliers in the program and uh, right now the new program start with climate program so climate is the topic of the key supplier programs as i have uh, understood this it's pretty rare for companies to set concrete targets and implement activities beyond their own operations when aiming to reduce co2 emissions but now valmet has taken a bold step to look in both directions of its entire value chain, you know, suppliers and customers using Valmet's technology. And also, with, as you say, with clear targets and concrete actions for emissions reductions. Great. But now, Yanni, what kind of journey has this been to define CO2 emissions reduction targets and actions for suppliers? And what was the rationale for Valmet to set an emissions reduction target also for its supply chain? Yeah, that's a good question. So we have calculated in Valmet that the emissions of our supply chain are four times bigger than our own operations. So we thought that it's quite logical that we have to take also our suppliers into the scope. I must admit that we are still in the beginning of the journey. So this is a 10-year program in Valmet and we are still in the beginning. 
we have suppliers all over the world. So this is not just a Nordic exercise. We have plenty of suppliers, for instance, in China, where they produce steel out of coal origin electricity. Mm-hmm. So we, we think that it's really useful not to only think about Nordic suppliers, but take into account everything. So Walmart wants to have a holistic approach all the way from suppliers to the customers. Otherwise, it would be greenwashing, wouldn't it? Mm, indeed. Uh, could you elaborate a little bit more on the actions that you are taking to achieve this, uh, from what I read, 20% reduction target for your own supply chain? Yeah, so we have initially thought about three actions concerning our raw material suppliers. First, we try to increase recycled steel in our products. We calculate roughly half of our raw materials are recycled already and half are not. Second action is that we try to support our high-emitting suppliers to reduce their emissions. We still have many suppliers who do not yet know their own emissions. They don't know how to calculate them, so we can help them there. And a third action concerning raw materials is that uh, we continue to redesign lightweight products, introducing alternative raw materials and uh, that kind of stuff. Mm. And then we also have actions concerning our logistics suppliers. Logistics is less than 10% of our supply chain emissions, but nevertheless, we are still using a lot of air freight and uh, trucks and so on. Mm. We move more towards rail, and uh, there are many actions ongoing in logistics side as well. Sounds very thorough. Thank you, Yanni. But now I'd like to move over to you, Yuha. You know, I'd like to take a closer look at one of your targets, which is concerns the, the target to increase recycled steel in your products. As an opening question to for the steel industry, it may not be known to everyone listening to us today. So, you know, the steel industry is one of the most emitting industries in the world. So could you explain why this is to our audience? Well, yes, you're absolutely correct. Steel industry is responsible of some 7% of the global carbon dioxide emissions. So it is a huge contributor. And for that reason, it obviously has huge expectations because steel usage as such is only increasing year on year. Also, the stainless steel demand has basically increased on a 5% annual basis for the last 50 years, roughly. So it goes extremely well hand in hand with the GDP growth. So it has linkages to population growth, urbanization, and also climate change, given that the steel is used for majority of the applications that are needed to establish the infrastructure to, to abate climate change. So obviously, it's absolutely necessary that steel industry is contributing to the climate change a lot, meaning making more efficient production and also increasing the amount of recycling. Given that the contribution of of these um, primary produced raw materials, whether it's steel or whether it's uh, ferroalloys, that is causing the biggest contribution to the full footprint. And... uh, Obviously, steel as such, if if you're making it out of iron ore, that is the major contributor to the CO2 challenge. And this is coming from the fact that the coke is used as a reductant in the blast furnaces when steel is being produced. 
in Autocumbus case, we don't run any blast furnaces, so our steelmaking is electricity-based. Let's go a little bit deeper. Tell us more about the actions you're taking to cut these emissions. Could you give us maybe some mm, snapshots of, of things that you are doing concretely now that you weren't doing five years ago? Okay, actually, five years is a good span because we established our first science-based targets to the past five years, so starting from 2016, and we actually managed to reach our 20% reduction that was aimed towards 2023. Congratulations. So we we were (laughs) quite happy with that, and how we reached it was effectively increasing our share of low-carbon electricity, and this is through Mm -hmm. various PPAs, for instance, and... uh, And a huge contributor was our uh, increase in recycled material usage. So we went from roughly 80% level to more than 90. And that... uh, 92 point... Yeah, 92.5 to be more precise. I remember that, which which is an amazing figure. So those were the, let's say, big ticket items which uh, got us this far. And uh, now we are working very heavily on uh, our own processes, meaning that we are looking at new technologies on how how we can uh, further abate our direct emissions as well. And then looking at the the full supply chain, given that uh, such a big chunk of our emissions is actually coming from there. And there we have a huge variety of different suppliers. And this is basically what I was telling at the beginning of the podcast. It's not any different to what you're making in your personal life. Sustainable choices about where are you buying stuff from and how do you factor in Uh, sustainability in these decisions. Yuha, you're on a roll with your initiatives and you've got so much going on, but I'd like to throw you a little challenge, if I may. Sure. I'd like to hear your 40-second elevator pitch on the following question. Why is recycled stainless steel so much better for, well, from an emissions perspective, than primary steel? Are you ready? Yeah. And go. Well, I'd say that the biggest difference is simply in the carbon footprint. Because if if I look at it, uh, in our steel making, more than 90% is recycled material that goes into the mix. And for this reason, our CO2 emissions per ton of steel produced is about 1.5. While in uh, in, uh, Asia, for instance, the average recycled content is 26%. And the average footprint is then about 7.8. So it's roughly five times higher. So if you would do a purchase decision based on would you like to have the material with the five times higher footprint or the one with the lower, I'd say that it's a pretty straightforward decision. And this leads to a um, roughly 8 million ton handprint effect of CO2 that we uh, have globally, meaning that that's the amount of CO2 that is reduced by using our steel. Excellent. Great job. We're going to record that and play that for your shareholders. That was a great, great job. We're, we're, we're very well done. But let's move back to Valmet. You know, a big part of Valmet's purchases uh, consist of metals-based products and components. But how much steel do you actually use? And do you see any difference in using primary versus recycled steel from a technical or a quality perspective? I think Valmet is uh, the biggest user of stainless steel in the Nordic countries. And uh, I think we buy roughly 200,000 tons of steel every year in different forms. So we have six own foundries and they buy pig iron and steel scrap. 
We also buy a lot of um, steel plates, profiles, steel structures. And also we buy lots of converted components which contain steel. I think we pay roughly 300 million euros per annum for steel products. Hmm. And uh, is there any difference between primary and recycled steel from technical or quality perspective? I would say that um, it's the same stuff if the producer, if the steel producer is able to get rid of the impurities, hmm. no matter if it's iron ore or steel scrap. And reputable, good steel companies, of course, are able to do it. But Juha, you know, I, I once attended one of your global internal meetings at Otokumpu, and I was surprised to hear how difficult it was to make some major customers, for example, municipalities and cities, to buy better-grade stainless steel. For example, there's a huge waste of water and huge emissions and repair costs in major cities of the world, including my my um, hometown of Montreal, simply because many cities take cheaper and less durable options than your high-grade stainless steel, which is, for me, it's very difficult to understand. But this is a key question for looking at the value chain for both of your companies. How do you convince them to buy your pricier and greener stainless steel? Well, it's really a matter of uh, taking in the time perspective into your decision making. Are you considering the full life cycle costs of the equipment? Are you considering the full life cycle analysis and and the the footprint that you're causing? Whether it's a new bridge, you know, if it's made out of uh, mm-hmm. steel and it's galvanized and painted, fine. Then it needs to be repainted in a few years again mm. and again. And again, if you want to maintain the same service life, mm. and at some point in time, you will actually increase the total costs compared to just making it out of stainless in the first Significantly. place. Significantly. Yes, and of course, it contributes to the carbon uh, footprint in the same way. If you need to replace it uh, more often, then you are doubling, tripling, or quadrupling the footprint by doing it several times. Is it just that you're a bad salesman at uh, Otokumpu, that you're not able to convince these politicians to make the sustainable long-term choices? <laughs> I, I think it's a general problem in that sense that the people have the tendency of thinking too short-term. Mm. And that's, of course, something that we need to also factor in in the whole climate change discussion is that not only doing targets for being carbon neutral by 2050, which might be... Uh, I don't know, an easy argument for some to say because they might not be around to solve it. Mm. And for that reason, reputable companies, they would also have a shorter term target, meaning that they are also delivering on it on a constant basis and not leaving it until 2049 and do something about it. Um, we're coming to the end of the podcast and I'd like to ask you the very critical question of transparency in operations. So, you know, data quality and coverage of of what you're doing from a monitoring perspective is fundamental to any climate or CO2 emission reduction program. How do we make sure that the reporting of industrial emission levels remains consistent and reliable throughout the entire value chain? Why don't we start with Yanni? Well, we at Valmet, we think that uh, emissions must be verified by reputable third parties who know what they are calculating, who are dealing with different kind of companies. 
so that uh, individual companies don't just report something and that's it. So third-party companies must be needed. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, I would agree on that. And <clears throat> that's what we are using in our value chain reporting. If that data is available, if it's not, then we are applying the industry averages, which is the best available information. However, I think that the industry's, uh, let's say, dream would be to have some kind of a global carbon pricing in place because then yes. everything would be uh, equally measurable. But, and transparent. Uh, and transparent. But as long as that's not the case, then uh, we, we have the uh, best available information that we need to go with. And of course, I'm assuming that there might be more better data quality available now that the EU is, for instance, proposing this carbon border adjustment mechanism as one means of mitigating carbon leakage. And these will be the kind of items that will drive towards more uh, commonalized CO2 reporting, for instance. We might need some uh, innovations in reporting for the future and new mechanisms for the future. I think that's where we're going with this because without that, I think we won't be able to, to win this battle. Gentlemen, we've come to the end of our podcast, and uh, I asked you to bring to the studio with you either a picture or a prop that is your vision of a sustainable future. Tell us, what did you bring to the studio today? Yeah, I bought a picture drawn by my six-year-old son with me. Could you show us what it is? There are children playing football, and the sun is shining, and the children are very happy. Lovely. Thank you. And now, Juha, what did you bring? Well, I brought a pair of um, kids' cross-country skis. Kids' cross-country skis. Thank you. Now, this is something that we didn't reveal to you before the podcast, but Juha, uh, I'd like you to look at Yanni's picture. Could you show him your picture of your son, um, could you try to guess why did Yanni bring this picture into the studio today? Well, I, I think that the, what the Yanni probably wants to leave behind is a world that uh, his kid would be proud to live in as, as well. That would be my guess. Was he close, Yanni, to what you were thinking? Yes, you was right. But there was also one deeper meaning. There was this sun was shining in the picture. And I think that uh, mankind should utilize much more solar energy in the form of solar panels and windmills and also biomass. So that was the deeper meaning of this picture as well. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much. So many levels to that picture. Really appreciate it. Why do you think Yuha brought in his children's Fisher skis, cross-country skis here. Why did he do that? I would like to answer a little bit similarly as Juha did. So probably Juha also likes skiing and wants to teach his children to ski as long as we have snow in the southern Finland to ski on. Thank you so much for that guess. Did he come close? Yeah, it was not far off. I'm actually from Lapland myself and cross-country skiing has always been close to my heart. And for that reason, I of course, taught my kids to ski already when 
um, when when they were like three years old. However, now in the southern Finland, it's uh, not that common anymore to get the chance of going to ski. And uh, that's, of course, because of climate change. And that's something that I'm uh, doing my utmost in order to make it still possible for them to know what the, a pair of skis is in 2040 and uh, what are these things really used for. You know, like the floppy disk now for the exactly. this kid, uh, this generation kids. It only means the save icon. But <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping that the skis won't become a floppy disk of the future. But uh, there's also a deeper meaning to this because uh, these are also recycled. So this is very typical everyday decision that you know it makes sense that you don't have to buy a new pair of skis because the kid will use them one year and then he's done with them. Like recycled steel. Like recycled steel, yes. You you definitely practice what you preach. Thank you so much, Juha. Thank you so much, Yanni, for coming to speak to us today on Forward Talks by Valmet. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.